There's a question I'd like to ask you all that I've had on my mind for several days. Have I ever known anybody named Japonica? In the middle of the night, that word showed up and kind of echoed in my head, and, and I couldn't place how I knew it so well. So at dinner the other night, um, rather out of nowhere, in one of those quiet moments when you're having, you know, meals with people, I kind of just said, have I ever known anybody named Japonica? And someone else at the table said, well, now there's a question. <laughs> My son Noah and I just lost it laughing. You know, at, at how ridiculous the whole thing was. But really, no matter how well we know other people, I mean, this was my mother and my kid. I mean, you know, people that know me really well. Nobody could answer that question. There will always be things about them we don't know. As a matter of fact, we cannot know how, uh, how much we don't know. No matter how much we don't know, our human reasoning inclines us to base our responses and build our opinions about the world and about the other people in it on the things that we do know or that we think we know. We extrapolate and generalize and speculate and assume to fill all the gaps uh, far more often than we leave space for open-endedness or wonder. We can't seem to tolerate the tension or anxiety that comes with unanswered questions, so we flesh out the stories with our imaginings and carry on as if this is the case, whatever the storyline is that we've uh, generated. Now, I think I've mentioned before that there is neural science to back the idea that our minds respond to negative thoughts and anger and, and whatever, fear, all those things like Velcro. Stuff sticks. And joyful things, beautiful things, happy things roll off like Teflon. Now, I'm not making this up. This is neural science, okay? And so in order to keep positive thoughts, have them even imprint on our brains, we have to relish them for at least 15 seconds. I think we're impoverished by our assumptions, our uneasiness, and our inability to hold space for what we don't know. But the question I really wanted to ask you today, or have you ponder a little bit today, is this. Do you regret any broader perspective, generosity, or inclusiveness 
that you've gained along your way. I mean, if you have come to a more inclusive way of understanding something than you used to have, whether that's people or religion or almost anything, I mean, I, I just, my imagination, it kind of hit a wall on this one, so, because I live in my world. Um, but hasn't that ultimately been a good thing? Now, this is the last weekend of Pride Month. I've been proud of the respectable numbers our congregation has had at events that I've been to, the uh, Pride in the Park picnic and the uh, prayer vigil at the courthouse that I was very honored to participate in. Um, And it's taken our society a long time to come this far toward inclusivity. Certainly, we have farther to go in our understanding. But we will keep moving forward, never turning back like our song says. So there's an unparalleled level of success we can know by finding and participating with the rhythm that undergirds the whole of life. I I know I come back to this a lot. Love is the doctrine of our church. Our first principle of the seven that we covenant with Unitarian Universalist Association of Congregations to affirm and promote. The first principle is affirming and promoting the inherent worth and dignity of every person. In political seasons, that gets a little tough. And from the place that we are, we live our lives most of the time, that's a really hard thing to do. If deep value is the very essence of every single being on the planet, intrinsic, inborn, integral, innate, inseparable, inexhaustible, non-contingent worth is a part of every person on the planet. Before we can live out our covenantal pledge to lift that up, we have to find a way to hold the tension that is the paradox between statements like that and the way that we respond to the people around us. I talked earlier um, with the offertory about how we, we don't grow 
without those challenging circumstances. We don't grow without pain. We don't grow unless we have to because it's not a comfortable thing to do. But the capacity to act from love all the time, even when we are standing for things that need to be stood for, even when we are speaking truth to power, even when we are in unpopular places, to come from love when we do that changes the dynamic of everything we do from that point. and fills it with a power that we can't control. I see it happen too often not to believe it. And the times that we, it's not all that frequent, um, the times that we run into people whose primary motivation in every circumstance is love, how often do we do that? How often do we meet those people? Where are they? And, and if you encounter somebody who does that most of the time, don't they feel different to you? If we're acting because this is what we think or this is what we need or this is, this is uh, feeding... Uh, my self-interest rather than this is the loving thing to do. We've already lost some of, some of the uh, mo uh, momentum we could have to do it. This all-encompassing love does not come just from reasoning our way to it. It comes from walking through the deserts. It comes from living into the wounds that we have, that life gives us without fighting against them all the time. It comes from trying to, to embrace things that would ordinarily bring up our resistance, bring up our fear, bring up our anger. We can still make stands. We can still do things to change what is wrong in this world. But if we act from love, we're going to be more effective. To quote one of my all-time favorite songwriters uh, who's song was our prelude this morning. His name's Jackson Brown. Um, I'm not trying to tell you that I've seen the plan. Turn and walk away if you think I am. But y'all, I know I've touched it. I've had brushes with it. And I can't deny it. Even to satisfy being a Unitarian Universalist minister. I have to speak truth as I understand truth. 
So, I will continue to do all I can to find ways to move me closer to that love. To move me deeper into living in, in concert. And to do everything I know how to do to keep pointing and saying, look, there's more. We've, we've, gone, we've walked this journey that carried us from wherever we started through saying, that doesn't make sense. And I can't support that in integrity anymore. I'm moving over here. But what I'm trying to suggest is both of those things are honest positions, and if you move out beyond that, they all get included. You see them a different way, and the, the struggles of us and them, this or that, become irrelevant. We still act for justice. We still act for truth. We still make stands. But we're not acting for ourselves. Now I may have a meeting after this service and fire me. I don't know. But it takes two weeks. you got to call a congregational meeting. <laughs> I don't have a map to share. Just encouragement. Hearkening back to the readings earlier in the service, love costs all we are or will ever be. And if that's our primary value here, then we've got a lot of living to do. And it's also the only thing that will ever set us free. And not just us, but everybody else too. It's the space between us where we meet. If we fill those spaces with our anxiety and with our egos and our insistence, we leave no room for the workings and wonders of love. The love that is the doctrine of this church. The love that allows us ultimately to actually live into affirming and promoting the inherent worth and dignity of every person. 